We talked about David as a warrior. We even touched on David as an outcast. But where I wanted to focus on today is David as a father. I want to talk about the area of being a father that stemmed from a place where he did not even understand where it came from. Psychologically, David was just living a lifestyle that was already implemented or imparted. He was already receiving instructions on how to be. His transactions or trespasses were based on what he received as a child. That's why it's so important, you fathers out there, it's so important that you become part of the makeup and the, and the building up of your children. Your children need to be able to see and take and receive what you have because that they'll keep for the rest of their lives. Now, David made a ton of mistakes. We're going to go over that as a father. In our exploration of fatherhood, through the lens of the Bible, I'd like to turn our attention to this one man called David. A man of God, I repeat, a man of God. Let's keep that, let's keep that clear in our thoughts. Because his tra trespasses and transactions did not determine whether he was a man of God. God saw his heart, not just his actions. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? This is biblical. David was a man after God's own heart. And that was spoken by God himself. So it wasn't even something that somebody else said. Why? Because there was something about David that made him different from someone like Saul. And Saul was also a father. But Saul's trespasses were of the heart, not just a transaction in the physical. So when you look at both of them, end result seems to be the same. They, st they seem to still have the area of hurting people. Because David hurt not just people, he hurt generations. But Before we go there, let's go with David as a good father. David taught courage, and I'm going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's go to verses 32 and 36 to 37. 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to read about his boldness. We understand. You know what? I'm not going to even read it because you all know the story. The whole thing of Goliath. What is the boldness of a person? What determines and what defines bold? What makes you bold? Boldness is not somebody else's boldness. Boldness has to be your boldness. So when you talk about boldness, it can't be somebody else's story of boldness. Because what they're bold in may not be something that's big for them, but big for you and vice versa. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? You can't use the narrative of someone else for your boldness because you may think boldness is going up to the front and grabbing this cup of this bottle of water that to you may be the boldest thing you do all day because to you to be in front of so many people that's a whole lot so you're saying i gotta i gotta stir myself up to get that water i gotta get bold why because boldness is measured by the persons so when God says, be bold, you better know what bold really means. When he told Joshua, be courageous and bold, it was based on the measurement of Joshua's courageous and bold. Conquer the land, not grab a bottle of water. But we cannot minimize somebody else's boldness. If that's where they got to conquer, then let's encourage them in the conquering of getting this bottle of water from the front. Who's understanding what I'm saying? So boldness is measured 
based on the individual. Now, we see the boldness of David, and his boldness is really clear, especially when he talks about what he did. He, loved, he talked about his exploits. He made it clear to tell everybody, listen, I can do that because of. Let me tell you what I did so that you understand who I am. Look what it says. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, she said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. He's making a statement. For somebody else, it may not be. But for him, that was more than enough to explain his reason for being able to go up against this giant. So there are things and stipulations that determine who you are. So when you say you are this, there have to be things that are attached to it. You can't just say, oh, this is who I am. So what is the resume? (laughs) Praise God. So his boldness, David's unwavering trust in God's strength, becomes a powerful lesson for generations to come. We still talk about it today. Every time you hear about the underdog, it's always a story about David and Goliath. You hear about, um, even in football, the one that's the least of, it's always, oh yeah, here we go. We got another one of those David and Goliath moments. The truth is, Goliath was never really Goliath. Here's why. Because Goliath was depending on a roar and not on an an attack. There are those who depend on being loud versus actually being in someone's face and saying, let's do it. And Goliath was successful for years in depending on his size and his sound. Meanwhile, David was hand-to-hand with his obstacles. So David in his mind was like, I got this because God gave me the ability to come right face-to-face with the enemy. Watch this. Why do you think in in, uh, Revelation chapter 6, where it speaks of the four horsemen, the first one is the white horseman. I'm going to come back to this. I just need to throw this out there. The first one is the white horseman and, and the one on the white horse, right? That white horse, a lot of people think is Jesus because of the white horse. The problem is that Jesus does not battle with arrows. Jesus is about the sword and the sword is right up in your face. What are the devil's tactics? Every time you hear anything about the devil's ways of attack, it's always by way of darts and arrows because he doesn't want to be face-to-face with you. He wants to go from afar and shoot it at you. So what do we find? That the enemy we have, the supposed Goliath, he, is, he, he rolls around like a roaring lion. <laughs> Looking for whom to devour? But he's a roaring lion and he stays there, roaring, because his desire is to make sure he scares you first. Fear is the factor of the enemy. And he will use fear to keep you from your destiny. And fear will come based on your past. So here's where the devil has to do his homework. The devil has to do his homework in understanding what your past is. Or even better than that, he has to find out who are you like in the past. What person in the past does he just have to put you in and say, do it the same way you did it to that person back in the Middle Ages? Because they act the same. They look the same. They, they do the things the same way. The enemy just plugs you in. He's not a worker. As a matter of fact, he's lazy. Lazy is a part of his process. That's why he's always losing. Because in the kingdom, it's always movement. And what he wants is to stop movement. Let's continue. David's unwavering trust in God, we see what happens. Unconditional love is the second one. So the first one is courageous. The second one is unconditional love. I need to define unconditional love. And for some people, this may be a little bit hard because you probably told a person, I love you unconditionally. 
But you know what unconditional love means? There's no condition. Even our children have a condition with our love. Let one child come against another child and be evil to that child. There's still a condition there. Because condition, the only one who falls into the category of unconditional love is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's not looking to measure what you've done wrong. He's looking to see if you believe in. For God so loved the world that he what? And he gave because he did what he wanted what? Whomsoever what? If you believe, and there's a belief thing there that he's looking for. Meaning that I'm not going to leave you, you leave me. I'm with you, but you leave me. I'm not leaving you. The path to hell is a path of rejection of the person, not God sending you. Y'all didn't didn't like that one. Y'all didn't like that one. The path to hell is based on your rejection of God's love, not God sending you. You reject, you go. So there's a difference because every time we're looking at a God that chastises and punishes and sends lightning bolts. But we find here that the unconditional love that we're presenting, and I had to throw this in there because this is part of the, the area of what David tried to demonstrate, but there was conditions to his love. And we find that because the love for him was also conditional. He was the youngest of the crew, didn't get accepted as the first tier of who would be the one that Samuel would actually anoint. Oh, he's in the field, it can't be him. Love becomes conditional. We would love for it to be unconditional. Let me say that, let me say that, let me say that. We would love for it to be unconditional. I would love to tell my wife, Sweetheart, I love you unconditionally. Don't step on my toe. I would love that. But that right there is utopia. And right now, the only utopia is in Christ Jesus. So the only way I can love my wife unconditionally is not through my love, but through his love. That also goes with my children. I could tell them I love them. Baby, I love you. I love you unconditionally. Until you do what you do. And you got to bounce because you ain't going to have that. Not in my house. But I love you unconditionally. See, because children order structure. We want it to be a certain way. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You don't do things my way, but there's the highway. And if you want, there's a low way too. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about because a lot of you are parents and you understand this is not, we're not going to play this game. You know, you can remember the day when she left the house? You remember how that was? She said, yes. <laughs> because there are moments that it's not that you don't love, but it's not unconditional love. There is a condition to it. Only one who loves unconditionally, it, again, it sounds good. I'll, you catch me maybe saying it a couple of times. I love you unconditionally. But then it sounds good, but it's only for one person in the universe. Amen. First Samuel 18, 1 through 4, the deep bond between David and Jonathan serves as a poignant example of love, not necessarily unconditional. Despite expectations, their friendship and loyalty. It illustrates the beauty of relationship. They're, you know, some people want to pervert that relationship. I've heard it. I've heard theologians try to pervert that relationship. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't subscribe to that thought process. But there are some who would say that they were, they were more than just. No, it's friendship. It's love. See, I can embrace a man and not feel anything. You know, why, what, what, what is that? Why is it that we've turned that into something? You know, I, just, re- just recently I celebrated my father's, you know, birthday. Who Today he would have been 84 years old. And I just gave like a little brief uh, um, 
breakdown of what he, what, what he meant to me and my family. On February 1st, he would have been 84. He turned 84. So I know that there's a picture in there. I don't know if anybody saw the pictures of him leaning on me. And he has his head like he's depending on me. And here I am, the son, you know, looking all strong and stuff while he's leaning on me. What people don't know is that that was based on years of me leaning on him. Relationship like that starts from the crib. So there was a picture that my wife found and she sent it to me. I said, man, I should have put that in there. Because that picture shows him, me on the table, and him holding me up. See how the tables turn? Because the seed you plant today is the tree you eat from tomorrow. And you've got to make sure you grab on to those things and realize that the relationship that you formed is not just for the moment. There are future events. I got a text this morning from, a, from an apostle friend of mine. And right on time, awesome text. He sent it to me. You know what I told him? I said, man, we don't talk much. This message was right on time for me because of relationship. You don't really speak to me much, but you said the right thing at the right time. You don't tell, you don't speak to me every day, but today was the day that you needed to speak to me. And you sent me a message. You know what that means to me? That every relationship has its moments to be utilized together, but then put back in the refrigerator. Refrigerated relationships. And God says, okay, let me pull this out today because I need you to know that both of you together make a good taste. I need to make sure that that connection took place. And he did that and I reciprocated. And I said, wow, look at this. A man I hardly ever speak to found some time to, in his morning, early morning, to connect with me. Love. Next one. Passionate worship. I mentioned earlier today that David would have been the number one composer because his worship was passionate. It came from a place of pain. It came from a place of love. And that passion and love, that pain, brought him to a place of revealing the heart of passion of God. God's heart is passionate. Did you get that? The heart of God is passionate. So when you demonstrate passion, you are demonstrating the palpitation of the heart of God. Do you know what else you do? When you bring love into a place, and that love, knowing it's conditional, but when that love comes in, it causes an atmosphere where God can travel. Now you say, God can go anywhere. Yeah, he can. But where he prefers to go is where love is equivalent to heaven. So our love for each other sets an atmosphere for God to do the miracle. Now, here's the other thing. Last week I said something. I don't know if you guys caught it, but God told me, press it again. I'm pressing it. Miracles are sustained by miracles. That means that if you are a product of a miracle, then your miracle sustains you today. If you move out of the miracle, then the miracle can't sustain the original miracle. Does that make sense? So a miracle that you look for now has to be sustained by the word and by prayer has to be sustained by that which is miraculous. Do you know the weakest position of a warrior is on your knees, and I'm talking about the natural now. You are exposed. You can be taken out at any given moment. But in the spiritual, it's the most dangerous position because that's how God does it. What's weak in one area is strong in the other. And the truth is, the more we understand this power of miracles, every time we move in it, we, we sing the song, even when I'm sleeping, you're working, Yes, but the miracle has to be sustained by a miracle. Please hear what I'm saying. Your lifestyle has to be connected to the miraculous. That means that it can't be something you understand. 
if you understand it, it's no longer a miracle. I heard it recently too. Again, you know, I've said that years, but recently I heard a, a podcast, and and I heard in that podcast these wonderful two ladies mention exactly that. <laughs> Blessed me because it was salty. By the way, I understand the salty now. Y'all should have corrected me then when I said it. Y'all laughed at me saying he doesn't get that. He doesn't get it. Whatever. Because salty is the salt of the earth. So to be salty and sanctified, it kind of works. Guys, I'm promoting. <laughs> salty and sanctified was off the chart this last, the last one y'all did. And that statement was made. It requires a miracle. And a miracle understood is no longer a miracle. All right, let's continue. Let's continue. To reveal the heart of God is to reveal the sound of God. What is the sound in your house of God? What are you introducing in your house as a sound that belongs to God? What is the thing that you're saying out of your mouth that keeps an atmosphere of God? Or can I say the opposite? What are you saying in your house that opposes the presence of God? And are you at a place in your walk with God that you know that that's what's happening? Who's hearing what I'm saying? In your walk with God, it's not about being perfect, but it is about identifying when you're being imperfect. God doesn't, he's not expecting you to be perfect, but he is expecting you to always identify when you're being imperfect. And if you do that, then you're one step closer to getting it right. God wants us to get to a place where things are being identified, not in somebody else, because I could sit all day long and talk about you all day long in your imperfections. And I'm sure you could do the same with me. I'm saying, mm-hmm. You know, because her mm-hmm was not mm-hmm until I said about my imperfections. And she goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> Proving my point. Because the truth is, we are critics We don't look in the mirror to start our day. So I'm going to talk about you, but let me start with me in the mirror. I don't see you first. I see me first. That's so good. I don't see you first. I see me first brushing my teeth and taking care of all the impurities. Because there is my first sermon. My first sermon is to me. Hey, Israel, you love Jesus? Yes, I do. You going to raise your hands with Jesus? Yes, I'm going to raise it up. Because that first person is the one you need to specialize in because that's the one that you have control over. God gives you stewardship over you before he gives stewardship over anyone else. Somebody say amen, maybe a little bit, kind of something. Praise God. David as a flawed father. You know where David messed up? Big time. Yeah, we understand Jesse kind of led into it, but David moved in favoritism. And he did not take care of problems right away. In other words, he allowed it to get old and and rusty, and he let the whole thing continue. Example. Second Samuel 13, 21 and 22. Second Samuel 13, 21, 22. David had a daughter by the name of Tamar. And Tamar, you know, because David had several wives, so part of, the is- part of the issue was he had several wives. Man, you can't, How, what do you want several wives for? It's one, it's sufficient. Boy, I emphasize, yeah, yeah, amen, say it back to me. I'll take it. 
But to understand that now he was creating schisms because certain sons and daughters were not really connected, connected because they had the same mother or the same father, but not the same mother. So we look at Tamar, who was related to Absalom by mother and father. So there's the segregation already. And then there's another one by the name of Amnon, who was only related to Tamar by way of father, David. So Amnon decided to do something not right to Tamar. We'll keep the story short. He raped her. He raped her. And even then, David understood that was the problem and did nothing about it. Because the sword, as the Spirit of God spoke, the sword will never leave your house. Because when you do something and you don't correct it, and back then he didn't have the blood of Jesus. He had Jesus, but not the blood of Jesus. We have the blood of Jesus to cancel out stuff. He ends up ignoring the problem. How many parents have gone through something where you just ignore the problem, hope that it goes away? Tell the truth. My hand's up. It happens. Why? Because sometimes we don't want to get it messy. We think we're going to make it messier. But there is a job that we have when something like that takes place. Here's what happens. Absalom finds out that Amnon raped his sister Tamar. What do you think happens with Absalom? Absalom first, he tells his father. His father finds out. His father does nothing. Everybody say nothing. He does nothing. And what happens? You just gave a license to that son to do something. And Absalom went and he killed his brother, Amnon. Something that could have been resolved by the paternal was not resolved and he let it ride. So the authority went from the father to the son. The son took it upon himself to take out his brother. Of course, that led to other things. Because of that neglect and that favoritism or that neglect in general, something else happens. We understand the power of forgiveness. And David, it looked like, because you know, Absalom now became a rebel. Absalom came against his father. Absalom did everything possible to get the attention of his father. He even went and got all of his father's concubine and did some crazy stuff publicly. Let your imagination get there. In public, in front of everyone, to show that he wanted to disrespect his father. But it was because his father, after inviting him back by way of his general Joab, he invited him back to the, to the, to the, to the, um, to the palace and didn't see him for three years. I don't care you get invited back. That's not the reason why I wanted to come back. I want to come back to meet with you, to have a relationship with you. That broken relationship between father and son led him to become a rebel. And his rebellion was to divide the whole entire kingdom. And he came close to it. He came so close. And David remembered how much of a father he's supposed to be. I don't know what the, what the, what the final outcome really was, but I know this. Joab, the general of David. Please follow me. His general was told, do not kill my son Absalom. I do not care if he does whatever to you. Do not kill him. Stop him, but don't kill him. And Joab think, thought he did a favor to David. And he chopped his head off. Absalom got killed. And David started crying and weeping as a father would. And Joab looked at him and said, Wipe your tears off your face. There are people outside that risk their lives for you. 
The word says David never forgot about that moment because that moment his paternal was challenged. His fatherhood was challenged. Mind you, he was messing up. Don't get me wrong. He was messing up. But his fatherhood was challenged. And he never forgot that moment. So much so that he had another one of his sons, the son that was born out of wedlock, which I'm going to get to the next one, which is adultery and consequences. I think that there are things that we think is okay. And God will make you think that you think it's okay. The problem is that the consequences, he wants us to understand what they are. There are negative sequences that take place when you do something that you know is wrong and you still do it because it feels good. Don't think that David, it just happened out of the blue. David and Bathsheba were, were playing the game for a little while. Cat and mouse. She'd be bathing, he'd be popping out to look. In the beginning, he probably was being loyal about it. You know, no, I can't look. God is watching me. I'm certain. If David was a man of God, I'm certain that God was speaking to him all throughout the process. Let's not make it seem like he just dove in. You don't just dive in. There are things that happen in between, and he saw every step, and she, don't tell me for a second, she did not see. Because what I've learned about sight is that when you can be seen, you can also see. Timing the time of him walking the top of the palace and making sure, okay, I want to take a shower now. Guys, I'm going to take a shower. And so that love affair was more visual for a season until visual was not good enough. Somebody say amen. You need to feed that thing. So now the visual turned into a touch, but then the touch became a problem because the touch led into something. Please hear me. David made a grave mistake in just looking, but his looking had to graduate. To look, there's a graduation to touch. And when he started touching, he then caused something in him to be in her. Do you remember what I said about the exchange? You remember I said that if you are with someone, you actually inherit what they had in the past. Okay, y'all don't don't hear me. There are things that other people have as principalities and authorities coming after that person or that family or that bloodline. When you engage with that person, you've inherited that as well. So after, if, if this family is sickly, all of a sudden that engagement causes you now to feel sick and things start happening. If that family's in poverty, all of a sudden that poverty of that family starts to, now you're a part of it. Why? Because you engage unauthorized. David engaged unauthorized, so guess what happened? He had to continue his journey of sin because one led to the next. She's pregnant now, and she's married. And she's married with Uriah the Hittite, who was loyal to David as a soldier in the army. Everybody follow me so far? It's a good story. This is one of those they need to put in the movies, right? Like really good though. And so here, he has a problem because the husband had not been with his wife. So David got an issue. So you know what David tried to do? He tried to get him drunk. Yo, listen, listen, man, get with your wife, man. You know, I would do that. Because back then, you know, they, 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 they had a way of checking out, you know. They had to wait till the child was born. Come on. It's okay. But what did Uriah say? No, no, no. There are guys out there like me, and they're fighting. And I'm not going to, why would I have the pleasure of this? And they're fighting. Send me out to the field, please. Because that was Uriah's heart, his loyalty, his honor. 
So he didn't. So now David has a bigger problem. This man is not doing what I told him to do. So here's what I'm going to do. And this is the reason why. Look how things come full circle. The reason why Joab was bold enough to tell David, the king, to tell him, wipe those tears, man. The reason why he was bold enough was because he was included in this next thing I'm going to mention to you. He went, David went, and wrote Joab a letter and told Joab, listen, take the letter and make sure that Uriah the Hittite is on the front line, meeting the first tier of people so he can get what? So what did David do? He murdered him. There's no way around that. He set him up to be murdered. Is this the same David that we sing the Psalms? Is this the same David? 150 Psalms? Is this the same David that we read about? That we, when we're feeling a certain way, we go to his Psalms and, and we read about it? My mother, my mother is, is the queen of Psalms. Growing up, anything that was going on in my life, leete el Salmo 33. Meaning, read Psalm 33. Read Psalm. She was all about the Psalms. So you can imagine as I'm learning this, I'm going, wow, really? But that's God. Because even though you're a dirty vessel, the water inside is clean and he'll make sure it flows. Doesn't matter how, listen, God will use a rusty pipe to make sure it's clean water goes through. If you're the one that's willing to be there, but you don't stay rusty. He'll use it. To then make sure you're not rusty anymore. Who's with me so far? So here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the end of the story. Here's the end of the story. Joab did exactly that. So Joab was empowered now to then come against David when he did. I got dirt on you. That's why I tell Christians and believers, beware who you do dirt with. Talk about Let's go to church, love Jesus, and then first is the Holy Ghost, and then the Holy Smoke. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. It's all right. I'm telling you that somebody knows your dirt, and that dirt you, that you tried to hide, now that person's a part of the whole thing and they can come at you and when you're trying to and when you're trying to get right with God and you're telling them listen get right with God it's okay they're gonna go hmm <laughs> what you say yep. get right with who so David did not understand that part of his being a flawed father was not understanding the sequence of events that take place you start doing something outside of the paternal established by God, there are sequences that take place. It doesn't mean that God is not going to use you. Let me repeat that again. God will use an oncologist for cancer while the oncologist has cancer. Why not? Why wouldn't he use the oncologist? If you know what you're doing, but your life becomes in danger is the one area that becomes in danger it's the area that is in danger because you are now putting yourself in a place where you become infected because you have no protection of what you're trying to disinfect All right, I'm still here. thank you Jesus we have recordings second Samuel 11 which we talked about, which was the affair. I'm, I'm going to do the last one because we're, we're wrapping it up right now. I don't want to take too much time. Failure to discipline. Failure to discipline. That's the third one because we went through, we drove right by adultery and consequences. Failure to discipline. 2 Samuel 18.33. Please put that up. 2 Samuel 18.33. Failure to discipline. One of the things that become a major part of David's approach to life, one of the things that we need to study, 
is how he dealt with authority. Three times David could have killed Saul, and he did not. Instead, of he, cut, he cut something to show him, look, look, I could have taken you out, but I didn't. Which is still a form of power, by the way. There was power in that. Let's not, let's not sleep on that. He knew that there was still power in doing that. Look, I could have killed you. And he said it publicly. So everybody can know this is what I could have done. Now, David is no fool in this one area. This one area makes David, separates him from a lot of people. You ever wonder why David did not take out Saul? And you ever wonder why David got so upset when he found out that the same person he told to kill Saul, killed Saul? Y'all didn't hear that. David knew that you give a license to someone to come after the anointed if you go and harm the anointed. It wasn't because he was just so spiritual. It's because he understood, if I give green light for someone to come against me, if I agree with that man who killed, by the way, the man didn't kill Saul. Let's, let's get that one clear. Saul killed himself. Saul, he, he, he fell on his own sword. All right? But this guy saw the whole transaction. He said, yes, nobody saw I'll go and I'll tell David because David had, I know this will make David happy. I'll let him know that I killed him. And I'll get a lot for that. I'll get a reward. Yeah, he got a lot of right. Because David now has to be an actor in that area too. You did what? You killed the anointed? How dare you? Touch the anointed and make sure he said it nice and loud so everybody can hear. You don't dare touch the anointed. Why? Because who was he? He was the anointed. So I got to make sure everybody knows. And let me tell you what happens to, the, to those who touch the anointed. Bring them over here. Come here. Come here. Ah, done. Takes him out, and that becomes a storyline for anyone who touched the anointed. That's why David was in power for 40 years. He became king at the age of 30. At the age of 33, he had both Jerusalem, and, and he had everything. At the age of 33, does this sound familiar? At the age of 30, he takes over everything. He's in power for 40 years. Does that sound familiar too? His son Solomon comes into a peaceful kingdom and, and then reigns for another 40 years in peace. But Solomon was born of something that was not sacred. You can turn things around and become a man and woman of God regardless of the past that you have with your parents. Do you know that there are people who have rejected being um, uh, followers of God or, or considering God their father because of their issues with their father on earth. I've counseled people that have had issues with the paternal because of their paternal. Who's hearing what I'm saying? But God says if you supersede that person and you place me in place of that person, you will have a good, good father. And the good father will supersede the father that harmed you. Do you know what else? He gives you an opportunity. I don't care how old you are. You could be 80 years old. He gives you an opportunity to turn it around. We serve a God who doesn't look at age. We look at age. We, we have a problem with that. You're, you're too young. Oh, you're too old. Then God kind of does something to make you realize, no matter how old or how young, I'll, I'll make Josiah king at the age of eight. Or... Or, or I'll make sure that someone as old as Caleb is still able to conquer his land. In other words, God will give you an opportunity no matter what stage in your life you're in. And he will give you not just the opportunity, but he'll give you the anointing that comes with the opportunity. And now you're moving as a man of God, as, as a woman of God. You're moving in the authority of God because you said, God, I trust you. I don't trust what I'm seeing. 
Wasn't that the song? I don't trust what I'm seeing. Because what I'm seeing is telling me a different story. What I'm seeing is telling me that I am a failure. But what God is telling me is that I'm capable. What, I'm, what God is telling me is that I am his creation and he makes no mistakes. I am the master. Can you say that with me? Because I, I don't want to be the only one yelling that. I am the masterpiece of God. Jesus. No one will be a better Israel than Israel himself. Try it, you'll see. No one will be a better you than you. And God has given you the ability to look at the fathers who failed so you can be a father who succeeds. When I say father, I'm talking about mothers too. It's not just fathers. She said, the story's about David. He can't be a mother. But he's given us all the ability to change up and given us the opportunity to understand what it means to be a son so that we can be a good father. A good son leads into a good father. Not all the time does it work that well, but all the time the seed of God will germinate. Now, did you hear what I just said? Not all the time does it work that well in the beginning stages, but God, whatever he planted in you, he's the greatest farmer of them all. He knows your ground and he knows the seed. Good farmers, <laughs> good farmers know what seed to put in what ground. So you can't say that God made a mistake. What you can say is that you're out of season. This your water? I hardly ever drink water when I'm up front. But that last one I just said got me thirsty. She caught it. She caught it. God waters the seed. And that seed is ready to come and flourish. And what's so powerful is, by the way, by the way, everything in the book of first and second, in the books of first and second Samuel lead to a part in your life. Somewhere in there you will find your life. Don't go to heaven ready to look for David and say, I know I heard about you, man. Don't go there looking for him. Because all he's going to say is, what about you? What about you? And that's why today's message is to get us to a place. If, being that we already started with the piano thing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. I'm being bold right now. Thank you, Jesus. But that is an exchange of the paternal right there. Wow. He could have told me no. You know what he could have done? He could have been like. And that would have been fine. In categories. I thank God for this man of God. whose stages have been clear. Family is here. And something you wrote touched my heart. I'm going to say it because it touched me. He said, it's interesting now that I'm a father, how I'm now learning how to be a son. Let that marinate for a minute. Oh, that blessed me. He just didn't know I, I was blessed because he didn't hear me. Because through Facebook, he, he heard me. 
Jesus. If we can build sons and daughters, then we won't have to worry about building fathers and mothers. If our eyes are focused and our, our, our attention is focused on the sons and daughters, then they'll grow up to be. The oak tree started as a seed. The redwood tree started as a seed. It didn't, it didn't become a redwood right away. Ah, oh, it takes a while. Oh, and also, he, what he didn't mention, it takes a forest fire to germinate them. Oh, yeah, so that, that seed has to wait for a forest fire so that the outer shell can be soft enough to germinate. Huh? So, what? I felt it. And to know that right now, many of us have come to a place where we've gone through the forest fire. And that forest fire was, the, was what we tried to avoid. You know, people want to avoid the forest fire, but the forest fire was necessary to be able to get that seed in you Jesus. to grow. Woo-hoo. That forest fire that, no, I don't want a fire in my house, but that fire took off the outer shell and allowed the instructions of God, instructions of God in the seed to grow. So this season, I don't think we're an oak tree. I don't think we're, uh, what's that other one? The ones that, the, the ones that we see all the time out here. All right, let me just get right to it. I think we're a redwood. I believe the flow H2O is a redwood tree that required a whole lot of fires thank you for being obedient not just to God but also to who who else who else did you listen to say it nice and loud so everybody can hear nice my wife. <laughs> Mujer virtuosa. Yes. Que edifica tu casa. Dios conoce tu corazón. Y Él sabe tu deseo. De levantar un altar para Él. Que cuando tú cantas. Tu alma sale y rebosa. Yes. 